Good morning. Last Sunday, Rob began a new series, and he was called it, he was speaking on the power gifts, the gifts that God's given to his church to enable us to carry on and carry out and complete the task to which he's called us, namely reaching the lost and drawing them into the kingdom of God. And he said to me, well, I'll start the series this week and you can next week, if you do the power gift on evangelism, I thought, Tal, right? <laughs> See, the problem is I'm not an evangelist. But I have been used to bring people to the Lord. But there is a special gift that God gives of evangelists, a power gift to be an evangelist. But what is it? I was chatting this over with a friend of mine, Peter Lewis, who's pastor of a, a very big church in Nottingham. When he first went there, there were only 40 people in a falling down old Baptist church. And now today, they're in a new, brand new, eight million pound church, which they built right in the center of Nottingham called Cornerstone Church. And that church has grown like that, is packed solid on Sunday morning with students and people who have come to hear the word of God. And the reason it grew is because my friend Peter has got a brilliant teaching ministry. He can make the most complicated texts in the Bible make sense. And it's a real gift. And I was talking to him about this power gift of evangelism. I said, Peter, what is it? Well, he said, brother, it works like this. He said, I can get up and I can explain a piece of scripture because that's my gift. Now an evangelist can come into the church and have the same bit of scripture. He'll get up and I'll be listening to him and I'll be thinking, well, I could have explained that better than that. He said, but the difference is when the evangelist preaches, people get saved. And that's the power gift of evangelism. It's a special gift. And it's a gift I don't have. But yet I have been used to bring people to the Lord. And all evangelisms, I hope to show this morning, must be done in the power of the Spirit. There is no kind of evangelism that works without the Holy Spirit of God. And evangelism isn't just for these special people who have got the power gift. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. We are all to be able to give uh, the reason for the hope that's in us. While you're a Christian, you should be able to tell somebody that clearly and easily. And Jesus' very final words to his church before he ascended was, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So, okay, I haven't got the power gift evangelism, and yet I'm told I've got to evangelise. How does it work? Well, I've worked it out like this. It's a bit like the NHS. Now, by that, I don't mean it doesn't work. I mean... You go to the doctor with an ailment, 
and he'll look at you and he'll prescribe a medicine or pills or tell you to go away and stop imagining things or whatever. Or if you have something that's really difficult, he will send you to a specialist, uh, someone who specialises in that condition that you have. And that's a bit like the church. We are all GPs. We all function in all the gifts of the Spirit. And yet some of us are specialists. Some of us will have that special gift of evangelism. Some of us will have that special gift of prophecy. But all of us can function in all of the gifts. For instance, I'm not a prophet, and yet I've been used in prophecy. I'm not gifted with a healing ministry, yet I've prayed for people who have been healed. And it goes on. I've been used in many, many ministries, yet I wouldn't say I'm a specialist in any of them. And that, I think, will be true for many of you. Some of you will be specialists, but most of you will be GPs, spiritual GPs. And I want to look this morning at how we, the ordinary GP, evangelises, and what can we find in the scripture that will help us. So I'd like you to turn, please, to Luke chapter 10, which is the story or the record of Jesus sending out the 72 disciples. Because I think we can learn an awful lot from this passage, from Jesus himself, on how we should do evangelism. But before I do, I was really struck preparing this message this week by a scripture that I thought, this is so important, this scripture. When Jesus began his ministry... The first thing he did, he got up in a synagogue and he read from Isaiah 61, verse 1. And you'll find the record of this in Luke 4, verses 18 to 19. And he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And as I read that, I thought, wow, if Jesus needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit on his ministry, how much more do we? So whether we're sharing with a family member or somebody we've met or we're involved in part of a church outreach programme, what we have to do more than anything else and before we do anything else is to seek the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Because if we try to evangelise or we try in fact to do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit we'll be like an engine that's got no petrol. We won't go, won't succeed, won't work. We are a people who are dependent on the Spirit of God for all that we do. Now having said that, it's clear then that the baptism and gifts of the Spirit are not optional extras. All Christians need to be filled with the Spirit, not just once, again and again. As somebody once said, we're leaky vessels, and nobody leaks more than me, folks. 
we need to continually go back and ask Lord to fill us with his Holy Spirit. Anyway, let's look at our text. The first couple of verses in Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Now, if we go back to Matthew, chapter 9, verse 37, Jesus says a very similar thing, but he gives us a bit more information. Reading from Matthew 9, verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That passage tells us what motivated Jesus. It tells us why he was doing what he did. He had compassion on them. He saw the condition of the people. He knew what the end without him was going to be. And it's that compassion that motivated him. I always used to say to people that compassion is feeling the pain when somebody else is hurting. But the word in the Greek here that is used in this passage it's quite a long word, it's splang, splangnim, I can't speak Greek, but it's splangnimosi, which actually comes from the root word to mean intestines. What's that got to do with anything? What they're talking about here, and the, what they're trying to get across to you, is that this is a pain you feel in your gut, right deep into your stomach. That kind of pain for the people who are suffering out there must be what motivates us as his church. We must not carry on like a church where we don't think it matters whether they're saved or not or it's something we can get round to next week. It's got to be something which is part of the warp and woof of us as a church. We must have that compassion and we have that compassion by knowing that those who do not come to Jesus Christ will have a future separated from God. Compassion must become the heart and soul of what motivates us as a church. We live in a world today that's fast moving away from God and it's a world that's moving inexorably towards judgment. And yet few of us are working to reach them. We're the saving news of the gospel. This is the harvest field that Jesus is talking about. 
the world out there that's dying. Do you know, when I was a boy brought up, all the things I was taught by my teachers in school and my parents, as I grew up, as the values that I was to live by, most of them have been thrown out of the window. And I look around and I think sometimes the world's going mad. You know, don't get me wrong, some of the things that we were taught as kids needed to be sorted out. They needed chucking out. But a lot of the good values, the values based on the scriptures, we need those because without them, our society doesn't work. But God knows this is what's happening. God isn't taken by surprise that the world is crumbling and leaving him behind. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. He's not sending us out to do an easy job, folks. He's sending us out to reach the lost. And as I'll explain later, this is spiritual warfare on the front line. When you get involved in evangelism, make no bones, that's what you're getting involved in, spiritual warfare. But let's leave that for a minute. Let's go somewhere else. Notice the instructions Jesus gives his disciples. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. In modern language, we would say, what does that mean? Well, it means simply this. When you are evangelising, when you want to share the gospel with someone, look, observe, listen. What are you listening for? You're looking and listening for the work of the Spirit on that person's life. Because when you pray and you go out to evangelise, you will come across people whom God's Spirit is already working. When you go to your family, for instance, and you share the gospel, and they don't want to know, don't waste your time, because they can't hear. And they won't hear, because they can only hear when the Holy Spirit enables them to. Because evangelism and someone coming to a knowledge of, saving knowledge of Jesus is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need to pray, Lord, lead us to those on whom your Spirit is working. And the sad thing is, so many people will be approached by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit may actually approach them and touch their hearts while you are sharing with them, and they'll refuse. And that's sad. But God forces no one. And if they don't respond to you, don't waste your time, move on. And that's basically what Jesus is saying to his disciples. Look for the one upon whom the spirit of peace rests. Because on those will the gospel find a home in their hearts. Those are the people you will be able to lead to the Lord. And I know for many of us, the most difficult thing and the biggest struggle we have is leading our family and our friends to the Lord. We, we, 
those we love and we know that they just are refusing the gospel, they don't want to know. Well, don't keep badgering them. Just live your life before them and let Christ shine through you in all you do and the way you treat them. And pray that they will see Christ and turn to you and say, well, how does it work? And that is how so many times I've led people to the Lord. I remember one day I was sitting in the office and I got a phone call for a gentleman. I don't know how, I don't know much about him, but he never met him, spoken to him before. And he said, I've had a very difficult life and it's falling apart. Do you think your Jesus can help me? Did I think how Jesus... And I was able to share the gospel with him and that man gave his life to Christ there and then on the phone. And we connected him with a good church. See, his heart was prepared. And time and time again, over the years, that's what I have seen. People come to the Lord because the Holy Spirit is working on their heart already. Because they have opened their hearts to him. But God doesn't force anybody. Neither must you or I. We won't win anybody by clever arguments. It's only when we share the gospel. Because as Rob put it so brilliantly the other Sunday morning in a message... Only the voice of Jesus can raise the dead. And the Bible talks about those who are not in Christ as being spiritually dead. So only the voice of Jesus can raise the dead. And so with your family and friends, be compassionate towards them and continue to live with grace and love. And by your life, Show the working of the Holy Spirit in your own heart. And remember, this is God's work, which will only be done in God's time. There's no pressure on you to convert anybody. The pressure on you is to share the good news when you're given the opportunity. You are the messenger. That's what we do as evangelists. We share the message. We share the good news. One of the things that has bothered me over the years, and I've seen this happen time and time again, is people try to, I call it machine gun evangelism. They try to sort of mow somebody down with a message. They'll keep bashing them with the message and hope that they will turn to God. And what happens is we drive them further and further away so often. I had a dear friend once. He was somebody I met quite by accident. And we found we shared an interest in the same thing and that we both dotted about the cinema and old films. And he was a cinema projectionist. And he lived, slept his cinema and his films. He not only showed films in the cinema to earn his living, but he showed films around and about afterwards, had all his projectors and stuff lovely guy and we became friends and he used to come over to our house on Sunday I used to go after church pick him up 
and bring him over to our house and he'd show my boys films like the Dam Busters and these things which they loved, you know. And he even helped me out showing Christian films. And he'd come to church and it was wonderful because I saw the Lord beginning to draw him. And I was waiting for that moment when he would ask me the question and I'd be able to share with him. And he was only our house one Sunday afternoon. Um, we just had lunch and a friend from church turned up. Lovely brother, very well-meaning brother. And he came in from church and he walked up to my dear friend. Guess what he said to him? When were you washed in the special blood, brother? Can you imagine what that meant to somebody who doesn't know what that means? He must have thought Cynthia and I were cannibals. For all he knew, we bathed in the stuff. And that frightened him away and I never saw him again. We have to be sensitive and it's important that we are compassionate and we meet the needs of the people we're trying to reach. What was it that moved Jesus with compassion? It was, of course, the message that he knew that his message was the only message that would save them. He knew of the terrible judgment that's going to come upon all those who reject God. And sadly, that message of judgment is not like today. People say, oh no, we've moved on, we've developed, we don't need that judgment, hellfire stuff. Okay, yes, we don't need to be preaching hellfire all the time. But it's a reality. Because Jesus spoke about it more than anybody else in the Gospels. If you go right through the Old and New Testament, the person who spoke most about hell was Jesus. Because he knew what faced people who rejected him. And so many reject this message. But can we reject it? I just want you to listen to Jesus' own words. Comes from Luke 10 again, verse 10. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, you'll be lifted up to the skies. No, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. But he who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. Those are the words of Jesus himself. So we better take his warning seriously. And remember the verse we read right at the beginning. Again, Jesus' own words. Whoever believes and is baptised will be saved. 
but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We better take that seriously, folks. If Jesus said it, we better take it seriously. But we've also got to balance that truth with another truth from Scripture, which is important. That terrible end which faces people who reject God is real. But we know, because Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, that it's God who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. All people. Not somebody, not a few, but he wants all people. But he won't make anybody come. But we are messengers of this message. We have the message that can bring somebody from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's why the church is still here. That's why Jesus left us here. That's why we haven't been taken to heaven already. Because he wants us to reach our communities. But when we share the gospel with somebody, we must be careful that we share the complete gospel. Sadly, so many times today, I see two errors in the church. And they're huge errors, and they're absolutely frightening to me. There are two dimensions to the gospel. The first is repentance, and the second is grace. And sadly you get one whole section of the church who will preach grace, but they won't preach repentance. God loves you. And they end up telling this wonderful picture of a God who loves, but they forget to tell you you come to him via repentance. By saying, sorry Lord, I want to turn my life around. So if we share a gospel that is only love, we're not sharing a saving gospel. A gospel of love cannot save people. And equally, there are churches that preach repentance, but don't preach grace. What do I mean by that? Oh, they'll happily tell you about hellfire and the judgment to come and, and, and that, and they'll lay it on. But they forget the other half of the message, which is God's grace his free offer of love that will draw people to him and save them for an eternity to be lived with him. One of the most blatant examples I've seen of the first thing where you preach a gospel of love was seen at the Royal Wedding, was it last year? When the Archbishop from America preached a gospel of love but it had nothing in there that would lead anybody to salvation. It needs the message of repentance because that's the biblical message. We must make sure what we preach is whole. We have to tell people like it is. We're not here to make the gospel attractive. It's not down to us to make it attractive. The message is attractive enough when you preach it properly. 
When I first heard the gospel for the first time really myself, I, gee, it so thrilled me. It was down at a conference in Bognor and it was given by a lovely brother who died young. And he used the message in the Old Testament, you'll read about the cities of refuge, which in the Old Testament were places where Jews who'd committed a crime could run and be safe in that city. They were called cities of refuge. And this brother explained what would happen if we lived our life without Christ, ignoring him. And he said, but if you turn to him, Christ opened up his arms on the cross and became your city of refuge. Isn't that wonderful? When you get that, when you come to Jesus, you are safe in his arms. You're in his city. You're hid in him. You'll never see judgment and pain. You'll be with him forever in glory. That's the message of grace. And you come to that message via repentance. You and I have a great joy and responsibility of being both the hand and the heart of God. We are his voice to this generation. When we speak with the voice of God. Do you remember what Jesus said in that passage? He who hears you, hears me. He who rejects you, rejects me. That's true of us. When we share the gospel to somebody else, we're his voice, we're his hands, we're his heart. But above all this, we must continually seek the anointing of the Spirit in all we do. And we need the, what I call the twofold anointing for all evangelism. What do I mean? We need to be anointed to speak the right words. We need the Holy Spirit to guide us to use the words in the way that will unlock the heart of the person we're speaking to. Because that's what we're doing. We're unlocking their heart. And they need the anointing of the Holy Spirit to hear and to receive the message. So it's a double-fold action, you see. You need the anointing to speak the right message. They need the anointing to listen. But I want to, something that struck me too as I read this passage, and I want to draw to a close by telling you this. It struck me that as Jesus said to the disciples one day, look guys, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out to evangelise. And I could just imagine them thinking, oh no, I didn't sign up for this. Because one thing I've learned down the years, the minute you say evangelism, in any church, the congregation goes white. I don't want to do that. I haven't got a gift for evangelism. I can't do that. And I don't believe for a minute the disciples were any different. Hey, we didn't sign up for this. I didn't know he was going to send us out to do what he's doing. I mean, really. Yet they go because he sends them. They go in obedience to him. And what happens? Oh, I love this bit. The 72 returned with joy and said, 
Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. Can you imagine the joy? They've been obedient. They've gone out and they've done with trepidation, most probably, to obey the command of Jesus to share the gospel. And when they did, they saw the fruit and the wonder. And, and I'll tell you this, you might see gifts of the Spirit on the telly, you might see all these wonderful things happening, but I, one thing I will share with you, there is nothing more wonderful, nothing more miraculous, nothing that will fill your heart with more joy than when you, have the, when you share the good news with somebody who comes to the Lord. I tell you, there's nothing to touch it. And we should pray and seek the Lord that we will be doing this all the time as a church. We may not feel we can do it, but we can. And something else Jesus said, he goes on, he said, to the disciples, they come back, they're full of joy. And then he says to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Wow. I saw Satan fall by lightning. What does that mean? It's an incredible statement. Jesus saw Satan fall from heaven. What's he saying here? He's saying when you evangelize in the power of the Spirit, then we do nothing less than mount a full frontal assault on the kingdom of darkness. This is spiritual warfare, real spiritual warfare, because when you bring somebody to Christ, you are actually attacking the kingdom of heaven and you're bringing, stealing his troops from him and you're bringing people to the kingdom of light. That's why evangelism is hard. We're fighting an enemy. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. I just hope that we as a church will know what it is when we can come back and say, the 72 return with joy. When we as a church can return to joy. I don't think we can imagine how much joy there will be. And Jesus said to them, however, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. What's he saying? Don't rejoice in the gifts, rejoice in the giver. Don't go chasing after spiritual gifts, chase after the Jesus. If you want the spiritual gifts, if you want to know the baptism of the Holy Spirit in all its fullness, don't seek the gifts, seek Jesus. Seek more of him in your life. Because as you seek more of him, he will pour his spirit upon you. The things I've tried to share with you are not some strange, odd teachings. The things that have been taught by the church for barely 2,000 years. The things that Jesus taught. We are part of the Anglican Church. And it might surprise you to know that although the Anglican Church is shrinking and shrinking fast here in the UK, we are still part of a church that's worldwide and that there are today 70 million Anglicans around the world. And I can tell you this, 
50 million of those Anglicans stand with us. 50 million of those Anglicans will believe exactly what I've shared with you this morning. And they're the churches that are growing so fast that it's beyond belief. Churches in places where we would not expect the church to be growing. A friend of mine went to preach in Africa the other day and he preached in a cathedral, but the cathedral wasn't big enough. They had to put tents all around it so he could preach the gospel. Such was the hunger of people to hear this message. There are 20 million Anglicans today. Well, I don't know what they believe. I don't think they do, most of them. But no, we stand with the 50 million. We're not alone. We're part of a move of God. And I want to share with you in closing a message that was given by an archbishop, Archbishop Foley Beach, who is the leader of that 50 million Anglicans. And he said this at a conference just a couple of weeks ago. As Anglican Christians, we are called to be in the world, taking the gospel, calling people to repent of their sins, feeding the hungry, healing the sick, clothing the naked, and helping all in need. We must love people enough to tell them the truth, the truth about their sin, about our sin, and call them to join us in repentance. That's the message. I can't put it any better than he's put it, because I believe that God is calling this church to become a church that is an evangelistic church. Not because it has some power evangelist who comes around and does it, but because we are GPs. We are GPs that can be filled with the Holy Spirit and with the Holy Spirit we'll be empowered to take the message beyond our belief. We not might believe that we can't be evangelists, we can't share this, but we can in the power of the Spirit. So right now as I finish, I'd like to ask you to stand. As I pray now that the Holy Spirit would fall afresh on us and ignite us with a heart for evangelism. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as your church. Lord, we sometimes feel so inadequate, so weak, And our lives are so busy, Lord. But we ask you, Lord, that you would pour out your Spirit upon us. Fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Even as we pray now, Lord, we ask that you would rend the heavens and come down and touch our lives and hearts. And Lord, open for us the opportunities to share the good news with others. Lord, we come against the spirit of fear which would stop us speaking out. And we ask you, Lord, who are the God of all, to fill us with your Holy Spirit as we reach out to you now.
Come, Lord. Come in all your power. Come in all your majesty. Come in all your wonder. Touch our hearts, we ask. In Jesus' name. Amen.